Hi, I'm Stacey Schumacher-Rowan, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Design Magazine, with HD's What I've Learned podcast. Mike Sumi's multifaceted career in architecture and interior design has taken him from Chicago, working for Jordan Moser and Associates, to New York, where he was the Principal and Vice President at Stonehill Taylor for the past 15 years. Recently, he has opened up his own shop, the New York-based Sumi Design Works. His namesake firm's first project, the Pelham Hotel in New Orleans, was a finalist in the 2022 Gold Key Awards. His next hotel, the Radical in Asheville, North Carolina, promises to push boundaries. As he often says, if you can dream it, it's possible. A lesson he learned from Jordan Moser. Hi, I'm here with Mike Sumi. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Stacey? Good, thanks. All right, so we always start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Marquette, Michigan, which is in Michigan's Upper Peninsula on Lake Superior. Awesome. Were you a creative kid, an outdoorsy kid? What was your childhood like? Um, I was, Marquette is like a, has a population of 20,000, and the um, it's pretty much surrounded by wilderness. And so it's you're required to be an outdoorsy kid when you grow up there. Um, I was very creative as a kid and used to build, uh, homes out of cardboard, um, just because I thought it was fun and build all the rooms and all the furniture out of card, out of corrugated cardboard. Um, and as I got into my teens, I, um, started taking classes in middle school and high school that were mechanical drawing and architecture. Um, and art. And um, that's where uh, sort of the whole creative thing started. I knew I wanted to be an architect when I was in 10th grade. So that was, um, it was early for me. Yeah. Were your parents creative? Or how did you, you know, kind of get into it? Yeah, um, my it's interesting. That's an interesting question. I've never really thought about that. My dad's early career was in the US Navy, and he wanted me to be a naval officer. Um, not an architect and initially, and my mother was a nurse. She was a recovery room nurse, uh, but she had like a painting had, had uh, done a bunch of paintings when she was younger and kind of put all that away. And we knew about it as kids that my mom had done these paintings and she always encouraged um, arts uh, in our education and in our home. And so we kind of grew up with a lot of, uh, creative supplies. And like I said, we were always making things um, and being real resourceful about uh, what we made things out of, uh, you know, and uh, I remember we did a lot of decoupage and a lot of um, paper mache projects and those kind of things. So we always had some kind of uh, art activity in our home when I was a kid. Awesome. Did you travel much? Um, when we were, no, when we were, um, uh, where we lived was pretty remote and every year we took a driving trip, uh, in the big family station wagon and our trips were usually to like Chicago or Milwaukee or Green Bay or Detroit. So they were, I would say regional trips, um, our big, huge, really big trip where we took like 12 days was driving down to what was then like brand new Disney World uh, in Orlando. And we drove all the way from Northern Michigan down US 41 because I-75 didn't exist at the time. So we drove all the way down US 41 um, and went uh, to a bunch of like 
tourist attractions along the way. Like we went to Chattanooga, we went to Wikiwachi uh, in Florida. We uh, went through Alligator Alley. Uh, we went to Miami, and then the big the big part of the trip was like Disney World. Um, and that was our that was our really big adventure one summer, and it was I think two years after it opened. Oh wow! And as an architect, that must have been awesome to see, or as, as somebody that well, was it, an yeah, it was awesome. And um, it's funny, I recently, my mom uh, and dad cleaned out their attic in Marquette, like three months ago, and they sent me all these things, including a journal that I kept on that trip. And one, and I wrote back then, God, I was like, 10, I think 10 or 11 years old, I really wanted to see the, um, the new hotels that had the um, monorail that went through them. Uh, the contemporary in particular, because it was like a feat of architecture and engineering where the rooms were all prefabricated by U.S. steel. And I knew about it back then, and I really wanted to see it. And um, while we were there riding on the monorail late at night, a gentleman started talking to us and apparently started talking to me. And I had had very vague memories of this. Uh, I remember he had a really beautiful Mickey Mouse watch that had diamonds in it. Um, It turns out it was Roy Disney. And he was quizzing us about our trip there, uh, Walt's brother. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so that was, um, yeah, it was a really exciting thing. Also, the Brady Bunch, I remember uh, the dad, he had a job where he was designing something for Disney. And so I was super excited to go down there. Awesome. Okay, so you knew that you wanted to be an architect at 10. So did you then go to school, college for that? Yeah, I... I, um, when I was 17 in high school, I designed my first home that was built. It was a Buckminster Fuller um, geodesic dome house. And uh, it was a class that I had my junior year in high school. And my scoutmaster uh, wanted to build his own home and saw what I was doing and took my designs and plans and actually built it in the woods. Um, and it was a two-story dome, dome house. And at 17 to have my first home built, I was like completely hooked. So I got into University of Michigan School of Architecture uh, and I went there for six years and got, uh, you know, undergrad and a grad degree. Amazing. Uh, at U of M. <laughs> All right. So you go to Michigan. Um, obviously, if you stayed in it for six years, it was everything you imagined. Talk to me a little oh, bit. Yeah. About, yeah. There was a class I really wanted to be in, which was um, conceptual design. It was a conceptual design studio run by this uh, great educator named Bill Scott, and I couldn't get into it semester after semester. I became disillusioned, and I wrote, and I was paying for my own school. It wasn't there on scholarship or financial aid. And I uh, wrote, with my help of my parents, I wrote the dean a letter saying, I seriously am considering not coming back for grad school and transferring to a different school because I couldn't get in the studio. And it was a really well-crafted letter. Letter. My dad was, uh, uh, like yourself, he was an editor and a publisher. Uh, he was head of the news bureau for a university. And so he really helped me with the letter, the, this letter. And um, to my surprise, I thought I would just be ignored. And I, I was going to transfer and go to um, Georgia Tech which was being run by a very conceptual architect at the time. Um, And to my surprise, the dean asked me to come meet with him. And he uh, told me that not only was he moved by my letter, they were changing their program by my letter, and they were starting a new summer program. 
Bill Scott was going to be running it. And they wanted to know if I would be the very first student in their summer studio. Um, On top of that, they offered me me the position of a 25% uh, professor appointment to teach Architecture 101. Hmm. And um, uh, also asked that I redesign the um, presentation studios for the school. So I went from being a like an upset student to uh, being a, a faculty member, and uh, I, I also became the uh, liaison between the students and the faculty. Uh, that must have been some letter. Yeah, it was. I mean, I had done a number of things, like helped launch a magazine for the school, and every year personally put together the yearbook for the architecture school at U of M. So they already knew who I was, um, but um, I ended up it ended up being a really wonderful uh, U-turn for me at school. And my last couple of years in, in grad school were fantastic. Amazing. All right. So you finished grad school. Um, what's your first job after school or where did you go? I had a job doing surveying uh, in Ann Arbor and it was, uh, we used a uh, transit. You know what a transit is? Like it's a little, like a telescope thing you look through and a stick with um measurements on it and we used to survey property and then we would do all the drawings for turning like woods into uh residential development Hmm. um and we do that in the middle of winter we'd have to bring a shovel with us and dig down to the earth uh we had a torch as well like a, a, a giant propane torch so we could melt the snow down to the earth so that was my first taste of what like actual work was and i threw myself into it I loved it, uh, but I also felt like there's no creativity in surveying and doing the drawings from surveying. I like loved the drawing part, uh, but that, um, you know, it was very hands-on. Uh, that was my first job. So it was uh, very different than what I do now. Yeah, a little bit. Good thing you had the survival wilderness courses in high school to help you out with the surveying in the winter. What made you stop surveying and where did you go from there uh i moved to um uh columbus ohio which was um people don't believe that i lived in columbus because i went for six years i was a huge like u of m football fan went every single home game and circumstances had me move from there to columbus ohio uh and i worked for a um celebrated architect at the time his name was john reagan um, and he was uh, also a professor at Ohio State uh, School of Architecture. And he got me into his class as a uh, TA, at which then I became the joke of Ohio State's architecture program because I'm the U of M guy. Uh, and, and it's and unfortunately, Bo Schembechler had stepped down from coaching U of M's football team right when I got to Ohio State. And Ohio State started to cream Michigan in football the minute I got there. So I took a lot of abuse while I was there. We designed um, at John Regan's office, we designed these beautiful homes um, that were built in a very, very old world uh, tradition um, with sand cast brick and hand cut slate and hand formed copper um, and um, hand leaded windows. We were, we were um, very inspired by an architect whose name was uh, Lutchens. Lutchens was a popular architect in the early 1800s, and he had designed Bath, England, 
all the homes mm -hmm. in Bath, England. And so we were creating homes that were very inspired by Lutchen's work, especially, especially Bath. So you're in Columbus, you build this community. How long were you there? And kind of what's, what's uh, I was, I was in Columbus for about three years, uh, worked for two different architects because of the, the way the recession was. We lost all of our high-end residential clients when the, when the economy tanked. And then I ended up doing commercial work uh, uh, as an architect with a capital A. I got licensed in Ohio. Uh, that's where I got my first architecture license. Um, and, I, and from there, I moved to Chicago. Cool. And then is that when you started working with Jordan Moser? Yeah, it was an interesting time. It was the only time I, I didn't work. There was about a five-month period where there was just no one to even interview with. Oh, really? Um, yeah, for this was like in 90, 1991. Okay. And firms were just downsizing. Um, Jordan, I stumbled on Jordan's work um, uh, at, at dinner, a restaurant called Vivre um, in the Italian village in, in the loop. And I asked the maitre d', like, who designed this restaurant? It's amazing. Every, and everything in the restaurant clearly came from the same hands. Like the, it wasn't just the design, but it was the tile in the bathroom and the copper bar top and these spiral columns and the carved wood uh, chair legs, which also had the same spirals in them. There was a spiral motif that I noticed right away. And they said, oh, it's a genius who designed our, our uh, restaurant. He's very celebrated. He's the most famous architect in, in Chicago. And his name is Jordan Moser. And this was back in the days of like the yellow pages. So I went into the phone book and literally two days, day or two later, I called Jordan Moser's office, just a cold call. And a woman answered. And I told her how excited I was by the restaurant that I'd eaten in. And I and I'd heard that Jordan had designed it. And I'm a young architect. I just moved there from Ohio. And she said... Um, well, that is my son who you're talking about. And he is a genius. And she said, Could, uh, are you available to come in tomorrow to talk with us? And I went in and it was like, the timing was right. Traxler had just been hired a week earlier. There was a, a guy named Frank who had quit and they were uh, being asked to compete for a big project at Disney and Jordan needed extra hands and I was the right person. I guess I, I impressed his mother, uh, who was the woman who answered the phone, Beverly. And um, he had me start working that same day and uh, with Draxler. And there was two other people in the office at that time. So that was my foray into uh, hospitality. Amazing. I love that you just cold called him. Well, I mean, it was it was it was tough times. I mean, when when the economy is bad, no one's hiring. You have to become real resourceful. Yeah. And I had already exhausted like the twelve architects who ran firms in Chicago, who were friends, best friends with the dean of architecture at at, at uh, University of Michigan. I contacted all of them. Only one allowed me to come in to have an informative interview. The rest were like in dire straits, letting people go. It would be a bad, a bad sign if they had anyone in to talk with them. So yeah, Jordan was a complete cold call. That's amazing. Uh, so what type of projects did you work on with him and how long were you there? And what did you take away from that, those years? Well, I mean, you're familiar with Jordan's work. And back then we didn't have, there were no hotels. It was just restaurants and bars and, and 
Jordan was already well into a project in um, in Matsuyama, Japan, which uh, Traxler started working on. And he had several other clients. And we just, we dove into all these restaurants and bars. And I, I was there from 91 to 99. And uh, probably worked on 50 restaurants and bars while I was there. Uh, it was It was significant. We had a few other projects. I did a private residential project with Jordan called the D'Alba Residence. I worked on a factory with assembly lines in it uh, called Outer Circle. Um, we got to do set design for the Rolling Stones Bridges to Babylon tour, which was uh, really a lot of fun and very out of the box. But it was predominantly food and beverage projects. And it was an amazing place because as you're aware of, like we, Jordan also wants to control the manufacturing of everything and under his company and so we learned how glass was blown and metal was spun and cast and finished and drilled and we had to we weren't just overseeing the directly like overseeing the making of everything we also then had to pack it and ship it and go to the site and install it so that was um a lot of fun as well and like i spent many many weeks in germany um, on scaffolding with hammer drills, drilling into concrete ceilings and hanging our chandeliers and, and connecting them to power. And so it was a real, it was a real learning experience. I mean, Jordan was a real uh, significant mentor um, to me and my career. And I think most people who work for Jordan would say that about uh, working in his studio. What do you think was the key thing you learned from him or something that sticks with you? Uh, that really, from a from in terms of design, anything is possible. You just have to imagine it. Yeah, that's probably the most important thing. I mean, Jordan is Jordan is a big proponent of magical realism, um, and we and he was always having us read uh, books, uh, novels, the magical realist novels, um, and go to movies that sort of capture that ethos and to this day jordan is that still still that same kind of person um even more magnified and so you know part of that is if you can you know whatever you can dream you can make a reality you just have to apply yourself love that okay so what what made you leave him and where did you go um, I went to um to new york city i went to work for david rockwell um, and that was an opportunity that um, kind of surprised me. Um, it came out of the blue and I uh, couldn't say no. Um, and David um, offered me the position of building a studio under me from scratch. Um, he knew David and Jordan were knew each other. We sometimes competed with uh, David. We had been competing with him for projects with um, Universal. Um, and I'd been sitting at the same table with him and his team. Um, and so David was very aware of the work we were doing at Jordan's office. And he, I think he really wanted some of that, um, approach, uh, within Rockwell Group. So I, I joined David in 1999 and I was there for three years. Um, and I can call David, uh, a friend to this day. I mean, it was, uh, a real close working relationship with David. And I learned a lot. Just like I learned a lot from Jordan, I learned a lot from David. Very different things. Uh, 
but um, and and I also got exposed to completely different kinds of projects at a different scale, uh, which was really exciting. Yeah. What what did you take away from David and your time there? Well, I think one of the things that uh, I learned early from David was, um, you know, it's one thing to uh, be a amazing designer and come up with incredible ideas and craft beautiful spaces. Um, but it's entirely another thing if nobody sees those spaces. And so, you know, one of the, one of the, I, there, I'd say there's probably four uh, really important things I learned from David. One of them is the value of PR and the value of having relationships with people like yourself, Stacy, and, and that, you know, you, you can do amazing work. And oftentimes this happens in private residential where there are incredible designs that no one ever gets to see because the owners of those homes have no interest in uh, having that work published. And so that, you know, that was one of the sort of key things that I learned from David. I'd say the other, another one that's probably at the top of the list would be um, making sure you have in the design experiences for the guests or whoever you're designing for that will they, they will walk away from and tell everybody about these like really powerful moving experiences that are uh, you know if they have one memory it's of that one thing and it could and, and, and that could be anything but having that be part of the design is critical. Yeah. That moment, that moment where guests go, I've never, this is amazing. I've never seen this before. Is there one project that you did with David that, you know, is probably your favorite or one that you're most proud of? The one that uh, I did with David that I was the most proud of is still the project that I'm the most proud of. Uh, it was a competition. Um, it was the first thing David had me do. When I started with David, he had me um, really work on winning competitions. Um, and the first one that I won was the Children's Hospital at Montefiore, uh, up in the Bronx. It was the first children's hospital built in the Bronx from the ground up. It was a hundred million dollar plus project, new builds, 10 floors. And, um, the competition was just for a library in the lobby of the hospital. And I, um, didn't think that was the right way to approach, um, that competition by the board of directors for Einstein and Montefiore hospital. I thought they were wrong in their view of what they were building and they wanted to have a library devoted to the teachings and philosophies of Carl Sagan. And as a kid, I adored Carl Sagan. I watched cosmos religiously. Um, I was exposed to the universe uh, by Carl Sagan. And when I, David asked me to um, work on this competition. I thought, this is ridiculous. Why would you just do a little library? The entire hospital should be based on Carl Sagan's philosophies and, and view of the universe and how we as humans fit into that universe. And so I, David supported me. He gave me a team. He gave me all the resources. And we prepared a competition presentation that was essentially redesigning the entire hospital, all 10 floors. Instead of this 2,000 square foot space, it was 108,000 square feet of the entire hospital, all based on the philosophies of Carl Sagan. And we didn't just win the competition for the, for the library. We won it for the redesigning the entire hospital, which wasn't on the table. So, and, and the end results were spectacular. And 
the, the clients are chronically ill children or acutely ill children and their families. And I got to meet a lot of them during the design process. And then after it was open, I got to um, meet a lot of them as well. And I've, you know, I've never had clients come up to me in tears because of how amazing the, the hospital was oh, uh, designed. That's amazing. So, yeah, very different. It's all about hospitality. It's still, that's where the word hospitality comes from. Uh, but uh, it's not a hotel at all. Um, yeah. And I, in fact, I still use that project in my portfolio uh, for certain clients uh, because it was a real unique approach to design. I had a real unique group of um, consultants and team members that were custom assembled for that project. And to this day, I still use that approach of bringing specific team members for specific projects together that have specialties that aren't the normal interior design, uh, you know, background. That's awesome. And what was it like building a studio for the first time too? Well, it was, really wasn't the first time. It was uh, at Jordan's office when I started. I think I mentioned there were th like three other people there. Um, Frank, who was on his way out the door, Larry, and another architect. And so, um, and they were both gone after about a year. Um, and it was just Larry and I. And then we, with Larry and I there, we ended up working with Jordan to build the company from like three, four people up to 25 people. Oh, wow. And we had it broken into studios. Larry had a group of projects. I had a group of projects. Jo you know, and both of us, Jordan trusted and would allow us to progress the projects um, in the language of, of Jordan Moser and Associates uh, and Jordan's hand, essentially. And so, you know, both Larry and I had experience while we were there building studios. All right. So you, how long were you with David? And then what made you want to move on? Three years. I was with David for three years and it was a, a incredible time. I think I worked on 36, I designed 36 projects in three years with David. Nice. My studio went from one person, this wonderful young artist. She was a painter, trained painter. Her name is Nora. She's at uh, Jeffrey Beer's office now. Um, but it went from just Nora to about um, 30 people, which at that time was about a third of the company. We were go sliding into um, a recession. And after 9-11, there, there was not a lot of work. A lot of things were canceled. And we were downsizing um, the entire time I was there, which was a difficult uh, thing to go through. But um, the amount of sort of creative growth was incredible. And I think it was a time when David at Rockwell Group and David were bringing in projects that they had never done before, like the Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. um, they're working on a shopping mall in New Jersey and on a sports complex. And um, they had done maybe a couple of hotels before I got there. And the second project that I competed for in one was at W Union Square which was like one of the early W's and it was definitely, it was David's second W. He had designed the very first W prototype on Lexington Avenue. Right. And um, we won, I, I won the W in the square in competition. So that was, um, that was another competition. Um, we did uh, the world headquarters for the biggest advertising agency on earth. And that I won also by competition. That was McCann Erickson. Which, if you watch uh, Mad Men, McCann mm -hmm. Erickson is one of those big, you know, yeah. mid-century advertising agencies. So that it was an incredible time. Um, 
And I, in, in 2003, I stepped away. Sorry, in 2002, I stepped away and launched uh, Michael P. Sumi Architect uh, in New York City. And I had an office in the Apple Bank building uh, just north of Columbus Circle. And I had a couple of clients, uh, high-end residential clients. And then later that year with Dwayne McHugh, and you know Dwayne, I think, mm -hmm. right? Dwayne and I worked with Larry at Jordan's office. Um, Dwayne and I launched McEwen and Sumi, which had offices in New York and Chicago in 2000 and late in 2002. And we had, um, we were designing food and beverage prototypes, um, residential, some commercial work. And then in 2004, I um, was approached um, by a headhunter to um, start an interior design division at a prominent New York architecture firm. And that I at first was skeptical. I had a couple of meetings with Paul Taylor uh, that involved cigars and martinis. And I thought, this is a lot of fun. Dwayne can handle the work we're doing uh, as a, a separate company. Um, and I cut a deal with Paul and I, I continued to run McEwen and Sumi for about a year. And I worked with Paul full time um, in 2004. And then um, couple of years later, I became an owner of Stonehill Taylor, and uh, I was there up until I started Sumi Design Works. Yeah, 15 years, right? 16 years, I think, 2004 to 99, something like that, 15 or 16 years. Yeah, it was a long time. Okay. Definitely the, by far, the biggest span of my um, professional career. Yeah. And what was it like, you know, kind of bringing interiors to... A predominantly architecture firm and talk a little bit about some of the projects that you know put you guys on the map maybe well uh, it, starting an interiors firm again this was now the like fourth time I think I had started a studio or a you know a company so I knew what I wanted to do and Paul gave me the resources and the wherewithal to really create what I felt should be created. Uh, it took a little while to get my bearings at Stonehill Taylor because it was the work was predominantly architectural with a capital A when I got there. And there were um, there was what like one and a half interiors employees and Paul was directing them. And it was uh, not a great situation because Paul was trying to run his architecture side of his company and he really needed somebody like me take over this little fledgling group of people who and the interiors work they were getting was in conjunction with the architectural work um, and the architects that were there were like very focused on building design and windows and extra cladding and master planning and working with the city to get buildings built and so they just weren't it wasn't it wasn't something they were focused on uh, so it was a great opportunity and I crafted a studio that, you know, I really had wanted, always had wanted um, to be um, built from the ground up. Um, and I think, gosh, in terms of projects that put us on the map, I, you know, in the early days, uh, because of a pre-existing relationship Paul had, we were doing a lot of um, minor renovation work to existing hotels in New York with Highgate mm -hmm. um, and with the Denham Group. And um, none of that would be portfolio worthy. And that went on for years. Um, I think the, the first project 
that um, put us on the map was the Hyatt Regency at um, Rutgers that was owned by Johnson and Johnson Pharmaceuticals. And we, it was our first, it was also our first HD award um, from you guys. And it was, um, and at that time, Traxler had already been at Hyatt for a couple of years. And that was a big deal project because it was, it was a very prominent um, uh, Hyatt Regency, big building. This was to reinvent all the public areas. And it was really important for Larry because Johnson Johnson is a, a very, you know, maybe they don't own any other hotels, but they're a very well-known owner. And so we had to present to a board of directors at Johnson & Johnson. And that project was a real challenge because it was a matter of um, they wanted to take baby steps. And ultimately, we wanted to blow up the entire public area, reinvent it structurally and how you enter the building and what you see. and add new stairs to the building, multiple connect new levels together that were never connected. Um, and it was a big deal project. And the results were spectacular. Uh, spectacular enough for you guys to publish it and give us an award. So that was that was a big turning point. And I think it wasn't just a big turning point for Stonehill Taylor. It was also a shift in how like Hyatt Hilton Marriott saw Stonehill Taylor not as a architecture firm that's going to solve fire life safety problems and do historic restoration or, or you know, design the, the next building for a Hilton and the exterior and the, the planning for it, but as a firm that could also handle the interiors and the furniture and the concept and carry that concept through. Right. Amazing. So what made you decide, you know, you're an owner of this company to then launch your own, you know, launch Sumi again, another, another iteration of Michael. Well, I think, you know, uh, that's a good question. Uh, a pro projects like TWA, um, were a big part of the, that decision-making process for me to launch Sumi Design Works. Working with um, like Tyler Morse and MCR on TWA, this is an independent uh, hotel that um, chose to ignore what everyone else is doing in the hotel sphere from an operation standpoint and, and a design standpoint and really pave its own way to create something new that didn't exist in the hotel environment. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say that Tyler did that from a design standpoint as well as from an operation standpoint um, in terms of airport hotels. And um, we had a number of other projects like that that were, for me, very groundbreaking. And um, like the Eliza Jane or the Press Hotel um, and the Sophie Hotel in Chicago and the St. Kate Hotel in, in, um, in Milwaukee. They all um, were either soft-branded or independent. They all decided the ownership along with myself and our design team at, at Stonehill we all decided that this was going to be something new. It was going to be, it's not going to follow the path that's set by a hard brand in terms of uh, what's expected. And it allowed us to, like the St. Kate, uh, that has three art galleries. It has a black box theater. It has live performance stages. It has a, a podcast recording studio. It's all about the fine arts and performing arts in Milwaukee. Um, and it happens to be a hotel. 
And so, you know, those kind of projects, I was, I, those are the ones that I'm the most excited about, um, where you're not just creating something that doesn't exist uh, previously and reinventing what a hotel can be and do, but you're also creating a narrative, a design narrative from the ground up. You're creating a concept that never existed before. And that's why I launched Sumi Design Works, uh, to really focus on independent, unique hotels that have their own story to tell. Uh, um, and it's for developers and owners who want that. Um, and I've been lucky uh, for the last three years. Where that's all I've gotten are those kind of projects. Um, is there a project you're working on that you're really excited about? Um, I'm really excited about all of our projects, Stacey. Um, but, uh, and the one that we just started that I cannot talk about because I'm under a restrictive NDA, you'll probably find out about it within the next couple of months, is one of the most exciting projects I've ever done. It's, you know, I, it's one of those like once in a lifetime projects like TWA. So um, the Radical in um, Asheville is an incredibly exciting project. It came out of the blue. It was another design competition. I had no idea what I was getting into. And it turns out that I'm working for the most amazing clients on earth on this project. Um, and all they want is uh, unbridled creativity uh, in, their, in this hotel. And again, it's like they're iconoclasts. They really aren't from the world of hotel operations uh, or design. They're inventing their own way of having a hotel. And the Radical, and the, you know, I guess the name is kind of embodies that, the Radical is going to be a unique, one-of-a-kind hotel. And it's um, in Asheville. And I, it's in Asheville. I uh, thank you for having um, your uh, Fall Forum folks uh, come and tour it. And they all got to meet um, my clients, Amy and um, Jason and William. And um, it's, uh, it's really exciting to get to work on a project uh, of that caliber from a creative standpoint. And it's under construction now. It'll be open. They promise me it'll be open uh, early next summer. Yeah. And what is it aiming to bring to Asheville? Uh, it's aiming to bring a heightened level of hospitality in an incredibly unique environment uh, in a part of Asheville that has been long underserved, which is called the River Arts District. And there's really not a lot in the River Arts District other than old industrial buildings uh, along the French Broad River. And this will be the, the first hotel there. And then the offerings that we're going to have in that hotel are, um, from an F&B standpoint, are going to be uh, probably at the top of the game in um, Asheville. The um, food and beverage director, um, Jacob, has become very, very well known in Asheville. He opened a hotel, or a, sorry, he opened a restaurant called uh, Table, which is impossible to get into. It closed during the pandemic. He reopened it. Um, and it's the top restaurant in Asheville. And he's our food and beverage director for the project. And we're doing five F&B venues in the hotel. It's only got 70 keys. So like certain hotels in New York City that we're very familiar with, it's a very F&B driven property. It's like, oh, it's amazing clubs and restaurants and bars. And it just so happens that there's a bunch of hotel rooms uh, connected to it. Um, Lark, uh, you know, Rob Blood. Have you met Rob Blood? From Lark Hotels. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, Lark is going to be the operator. Um, they're 
they got engaged last summer um, when we did our model rooms and they're an incredible operator. You know, they, everything they, they have under their um, ownership group or their operation are incredibly unique properties and they, they tailor, custom tailor their operations to each property. So that's, I'm super excited about that project. I kind of want to go back to TWA because I don't know if people know the the whole scope of what you did and how and what that meant, you know, with the building. Can you just dive in for a quick minute about like why TWA was such a bucket list project and, you know, what you kind of took away from that? Well, I think personally, uh, let me let me break this into two pieces. Well, personally, my heritage is Finnish. I grew up with Finnish grandparents and the Finnish language being spoken around me. Finland has a rich history of design. And as a, uh, as a young uh, designer in my teens and 20s, I really admired Alvar Aalto and um, Eero Saarinen and Elil Saarinen, his father, and their work that they did. Uh, Elil, in particular, Aerosarin's father designed the Cranbrook Academy, which is in lower Michigan. And when I was in college, I ended up doing a joint program with Cranbrook, uh, a joint class with Cranbrook and got to experience his work firsthand. Um, And so personally, it's a bucket list project for me to get the, have the, you know, ability to be involved with um, a legacy uh, building like the TWA terminal designed by Serenet. Uh, that's a, you know, if you look at the top 100 buildings in the United States, the TWA terminal by Aero Serenet is in that top 100 list. It's a, it's a significant work of architecture. It's groundbreaking in its use of uh, port-in-place concrete and its expression of sort of a, a free-flowing design. There's no, there are no right angles. There are no hard edges or right angles in that, project at all. And Saarinen's work, uh, Alto and both Saarinen's work really influenced me when I was a student at University of Michigan, um, along with uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, who was also uh, did a lot of work in Michigan. So and their approach to organic design, it's called organic design, where your your design is uh, much more expressive and not confined to straight walls and right angles, but rather is, is designed to be more open and flowing and expressive. Um, the TWA terminal is, is sort of the height of that uh, style of design. And personally, um, you know, if you had asked me if I'd ever get to work on a project where I got to reinvent one of Aeroserinen's famous buildings, I would have never said that'll happen in a not not in my lifetime yeah so for me that's why it's a bucket list project for stonehill taylor um getting to work on a a world-class hotel of that caliber is was a game changer you know uh, all the consultants incorporated or inc um it was also an interesting approach because tyler um one of his edicts was that all the design consultants have to always be together in all the design meetings. Oh, I remember that. Like we weren't like Sarah, my team, Sarah and her team, they were not presenting. We weren't just presenting to Tyler. Everyone else would be there. It's same thing with, uh, with, um, Inc. And with, um, Lubrano and Fire Blender Bell, we all had to review each other's work. 
and we all had to give feedback on each other's work. So that was, uh, it was an interesting way to uh, approach a project. It's similar to the way Disney works on their hotels and their designs, where everybody has a say in everybody else's uh, work. Uh, so that was, uh, it was very unique. I think, you know, one of the things that I learned from David um, and I carry through to this day is assembling a unique team of designers uh, for every project. And um, some of those are from core members of my company, Sumi Design Works, and some of them are brought from outside. Like I just brought in two very unique uh, designers for this new project that I can't talk about yet, but they're because it's because their specialties are uh, very aligned with the type of project it is. It's a hotel. I mean, that's all we're doing is hotels, but the type of project it is. A good example is Chris Moran. So Chris is a set designer for Wes Anderson's movies, and I have had Chris now involved. This will be the third project I've had her involved with because the theatrical nature of the project and the thinking behind it very much aligns with the kind of work she does for the movies that she works on. And do you bring them in for the, for the pitch as well? Like, did, like what was the pitch for the radical in Asheville? Did you bring it? Yeah, in? the pitch, the pitch for the radical was the first time I worked with Chris. Uh, it was me and two former employees, Grace, who I, I started the company, uh, with Grace's help. Um, and then uh, I reached out to a former Stonehill employee, Vanessa, uh, when we had the opportunity to compete for the Radical and Chris. And I said, we got this unique opportunity, real out of the box, a brief that was written by somebody. I now know it was this guy, Jason, but it was a really in-depth brief that was real specific. It had to do with uh, synthwave music from early 2000s. Uh, East Berlin in the 1980s, just before the wall fell, um, specific types of street art. And I'm like, this is a unusual RFP brief. Um, and this guy's looking for something real specific, but also real outside the box. And so I brought those three together. We made a pitch, uh, we presented three completely separate storylines and to our surprise, uh, we weren't just hired, but our clients were like, we love all three storylines. How can you bring all three storylines into the hotel? That's so, cool. yeah. Yeah, challenging. <laughs> yeah, it was it was challenging. But um, the, the format, I mean, the, the sort of framework we created to design the Radical is extremely unique. Uh, it's very open. It's very narrative-based. Um, we knew a li- only a little bit about the history of the actual old factory building itself a hundred year old um, concrete and brick building we knew it had been a bomb shelter and it had been at one time a headquarters for a breakfast cereal company that that's real and we knew the guys the original owner of the building his name was frederick kent uh it was called the kent building it's still like in faded paint on the side of the building and so that we built a a whole um history narrative history going from uh, the 19, the teens all the way up till today, uh, with a little bit of fact and a lot of, um, creative license. Love it. I yeah. love it. Tell us something that people might not know about you. You already learned I was in scouts, but I designed a home when I was 17 years old, a geodesic dome house. That was one of my earliest 
influences was Buckminster Fuller. Do you know who that was? Buckminster Fuller? I know that he was an inventor. He was a he was an architect, but he was also a sort of mad scientist inventor in the early 20th century. He created a Damaxis system called Damaxian. Dimaxian was um, sort of reinventing everything in the world to be to use resources the most efficiently, um, meaning like conserve resources. And so the geodesic dome was um, one of the Dimaxian projects. So and the geodesic dome uh, encloses the most space with the least amount of materials. That was his goal. Um, and he invented that, that the geodesic system to do that from a structural standpoint. Um, he invented the Dimax, Dimaxian car. It was a three-wheeled car because like three wheels is less than four wheels, I guess. Um, and it was, and it was uh, doomed to failure. It had an accident, a terrible accident in its test drive and it killed the driver. And so that was the end of the car. But he was inventing everything. He invented a way for to feed everyone on earth, which was called the world game. And the United Nations used to play his world game around the world with big groups of people. Um, and uh, he wrote a lot of books and um, someday there'll be a big movie about him, I'm sure. But he was an early influencer of mine. All right. Well, I hate to end the conversation, but we always end the conversation um, with the question that is the title of our podcast. So what has been your greatest lesson or lessons learned along the way? If you can dream it, it's possible. Oh, from Jordan. From Jordan. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Full circle. Well, thank you, Mike. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And even after knowing you for all these years, I think I learned a couple of things that I didn't know. So um, I can't wait to share this with everyone. Great. Thank you so much, Stacey, for having me on your show. Thanks for listening to Hospitality Designs, What I've Learned. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find full episodes and transcripts at hospitalitydesign.com.